Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Uh, the Premier League got underway last week, kicking off the 2021-22 campaign in excellent and entertaining fashion. Uh, lots of goals, more talking points, new kits, players, managers, uh, and most importantly, capacity stadiums up and down the country. Uh, if you were fortunate enough to be at one of those grounds, um, I imagine it was probably an amazing experience it must have been, um, especially if you hadn't been to one of the, the matches towards the end of last season, which permitted a, a limited amount of fans. Um, but this week's guest was at Stamford Bridge, no less, uh, to witness the beginning of the Patrick Vieira era at Crystal Palace, which now that I say it out loud, has quite a nice ring to it. Um, Matt Woosnam of The Athletic is, is with us to talk through the, the changing of the guard at Selhurst Park, uh, which has seen something of an under-23 overhaul, uh, changes in coaching staff, both at senior and under-23 level, uh, as well as some really exciting young player additions. Um, it promises to be quite an intriguing campaign for the Eagles, uh, breaking new ground under a new coach and a first foreign manager in the club's history, I believe. Uh, but first off, though, Matt, thanks for joining me today. Um, how are things? Thanks, Joe. Pleasure to be on. Um, yeah, it was really interesting to to be at Stamford Bridge um, for the for the start of the Patrick Vieira era. Um, it's uh, it's not the first foreign manager in in the club's history. That was um, the first permanent foreign manager, I believe, would have, would have been Frank de Boer. Um, but the oh, less course, said about yeah. that, the better. Um, that didn't go particularly well, um, despite the fact that some people have been already talking about that as as a possibility, as comparing that to Patrick Vieira. I don't think we're anywhere near that. Um, in terms of being able to compare the two, uh, their light and day difference. Uh, you did have Attilio Lombardo. Uh, I think it was 97-98 season. Um, he was uh, he was joint manager. I think with I think it was Thomas Brolin. Um, so a blast from the past there. But uh, but yeah, back to current times. Um, obviously a disappointing defeat at Stamford Bridge um, at Chelsea for Palace and, and Vieira's opening day. But um, I think you know considering it was a 4-0 defeat in the uh, in the fixture last season under Roy Hodgson you, you could argue in a way that it was progress um but uh, I think it's one that you can just chalk off as as the opening day of the season uh only one of the new signings started um Joachim Anderson came on that was Mark Gaye uh, who obviously will I'm sure we'll talk about later uh Joachim Anderson came on off the bench and looked good um, but Conor Gallagher was ineligible and then injuries to Michael Olise, uh, Ebrecht Chiesa and Nathan Ferguson. So uh, that was obviously a bit disappointing. Uh, the performance was poor, I've got to admit. I don't think any there's any getting away from that, but I don't think you can take a lot out of it uh, in terms of the performance and the result. I don't think there's a lot to read into that at this stage. Yeah, and I tell you what, I promise to everybody listening that the research done on this podcast is is a little bit more extensive than my uh, knowledge of previous Palace managers. As soon as you rattled them off, I just went, "What an what an idiot!" I can't believe I've done that. Yeah, but yeah, literally the the Frank de Boer era, which was, I mean, I think era would probably be quite a stretch to say, given how many games he managed. Um, and and of course, Attila Lombardo. That was, uh, yeah, that's a, that is a blast from the past. And a half. Um, but yeah, I think to be honest, most people probably wouldn't have uh, had Crystal Palace in their accumulator at the weekend um, to to go to go to Stamford Bridge and and you know essentially with you know a few I mean it, it, it's it, while there were I mean just the one new signing in the team 
obviously there's been a, a summer of change, whereas you've kind of got gentle evolution at Chelsea, I think it's fair to say. And, and obviously the you know the, the, the wealth disparity is, is one which always always um always rears its head, uh, especially in those early games of the season. But um yeah, maybe maybe some progress in a very small way if by conceding one goal fewer than last season. <laughs> yeah. Um but you know yourself. I mean, you you work for for the Athletic, um, obviously covering Crystal Palace, um, and I suppose you've. I mean, based on your knowledge of Palace managers compared to mine, you've obviously got uh, you've got a, a great deal more experience covering the club uh, over the past few years. Um, you know, how how long is it that you've been covering Palace in in any capacity? Yeah, so um, I've been at the Athletic for two years. Um, so before that, I was sort of uh, I was doing it. I was covering Palace sort of off part time freelance um, for this, mostly for the South London press, um, just sort of writing match reports and you know transfer bits here and there. But I've uh, I've run the uh, Palace Youth Twitter account since about 2014. So yeah, I've always kind of been interested in in the academy and the young players coming through. Um, Aaron Wambisaka obviously stands out in the mind. I always remember how good he was as a defensive winger. I would never ever have said he'll be a right back. I'm not going to start claiming that. Um, but he was always had something about him as a defensive winger coming and tracking back um, and, and making those tackles that he's so well known for as a right back these days. Um, but yeah, so I think pretty much sort of from for the last sort of seven years, I've kind of started writing about Palace. Um, I was the online editor of the FYP fanzine um, for a few years and contributed to their their physical print magazine as well as doing the online stuff. So yeah, I've been been in and around for, for quite a long time. I'm a Palace fan as well, as most people would have probably deduced from that. Um, you know, I went with my dad when I was a kid. Um, yeah, you know, it's been passed down from the generations. So, yeah, uh, been been a while uh, of of covering Palace, even in some kind of capacity. I suppose it always helps when you're when you're a fan of uh, of a club. But you know, you'll you'll have that connection, you'll have that background knowledge, you'll know all of the 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 the, the weird and wonderful anecdotes of of players getting caught up at Christmas parties and whatnot, and you know all that, all that sort of thing. But um, you know, it's it, I think this season, you know, with it being the, the the Hodgson leaving, and then was it twelve senior players? I mean, I, I had a count, and it was probably about eight actual first teamers that, that I would you know see on match of the day quite regularly um who, who left in the summer which i think is while it's not quite an exodus it is quite a you know there's it, it's a fair amount of first team players to to replace or to 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 compensate for for leaving in in one summer um and then you factor in the fact that the the manager has also changed and obviously coaching staff and there's been uh, changes at under 23 level as well and it seems as though that there's been quite a quite a transition Definitely. Um, I think it's at the moment they've got a, about a net loss of five players. Um, they let 10 go. I don't think they necessarily would have like sort of actively chosen to let, say, Andros Townsend go. I think in an ideal world, they probably would have kept him. Um, I, I think that experience, I would, I personally would have kept him as well. I don't think he necessarily made a huge impact uh, on on the pitch, but I think certainly if you're transitioning to a younger squad, then there are a few better players and, or rather people to have around this, the 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 club than there are than Andros Townsend, who's been there and experienced a lot, made mistakes 
you know, I interviewed him last summer. It all blurs into one. I think it was last summer. Um, and, you know, we talked about the managers, shaped, managers who shaped his career. And he talked about, you know, the mistakes he made under Pochettino as a younger player at Spurs. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I would personally have kept him. But, yeah, it's been a massive, massive transition this summer. It's really interesting. I think it was necessary. There'll be people who would have pined for another year of Roy Hodgson and towards the end of that tenure, there were there was a part of me that kind of thought, Do you know what, maybe maybe we keep Roy Hodgson for another year. But the problem with that is that there wouldn't have been this kind of shake up and with so many players out of contract, I think you needed to make that change then in the summer, then then uh, like give them like all another year and go on from there or give some of them two or three years where perhaps that wouldn't have made sense. Um, he certainly wouldn't have brought in so many younger players. They wouldn't have been able to completely transition um, the the squad age and change the squad age. I, I haven't checked actually what the squad age is at the moment, but last season it was the oldest in the Premier League and the year before it was the oldest in the Premier League and it just wasn't sustainable. Um, and to be honest with you, I think it was a bit disappointing for a club like Palace that you know, may, maybe this is kind of me being slightly biased, but I feel like Palace are a club that has always kind of prided itself on on having a you know young players coming through, um, and I don't think that was necessarily going to be the case under Hodgson. Um, after Patrick Vieira's press conference um, against Chelsea after the defeat uh, on the opening day, he talked about. Um, you know, he was asked what did he learn from his squad. And he said he didn't learn anything because he already knew that they needed to um, to to reinvest and to to bring more players in. And he was asked about. I asked him about Jezra and Raksaki, who you know released two years ago by Chelsea, picked up by Palace, had an okay first season. Nobody outside of the club would have said. You know, this kid's one that would would come through. I think you'd have to be on the inside of the club to know, you know, to see him in training and to see the specifics that he does to know whether or not he was capable. Um, but certainly last year he was absolutely outstanding. Certainly towards the end of the season, um, the sort of last six months he was outstanding. And and Vieira was very, you know, very full of praise for him. But he also pointed to the fact that you know you've got four four academy players on the bench, but they were there really just to make up the numbers um, and they're not quite ready yet to step forward. Um, and that was quite interesting, despite the fact they had been with the squad um, throughout pre-season. And I, I would, you know, I certainly wouldn't disagree with him. You know, I'm someone who is very keen to see Palace bring young players through, but it is difficult with academy players because they do have to be at a level where they can contribute and, you know, I think the problem that, that people sometimes have is that they sort of say, oh, are they ready? I mean, what does ready mean? I mean, I know Patrick Fiera said it and, you know, other people use that phrase, but I just don't really like the word ready. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything to me. It just me, for me, it's a case of are they in a position where they can contribute? And at the moment, really only Rakzaki is the one that can do that. But in two or three years time, I think there will be a handful of players who can do that. Um, obviously, they brought in younger players now as well. So you've got Mark Gaye, uh, Michael O'Lease, the 19-year-old from Reading. 
You've got Everett Chiesa, I think he's, what, 22, 23. Tyreek Mitchell at left back, um, I think, again, 22 or 22 this year. Um, you know, it, Joachim Anderson is, is what, I think, 25. So he's, you know, compared to last season where all of Palace's centre-backs were over the age of 30, that's quite a considerable drop. So, you know, it's been really interesting to see that that change and, I think that was necessary for the club to go forward. You look at the players they've sold over the last few years, and I think, I think other than Wan Bissaka, their their highest um, sale is probably Alexander Serlot, and that was, uh, you know, twenty two million to to Leipzig, but that was shared equally between Palace and Trabzonspor, so about ten million each, um, and they actually kind of made a very slight loss slash sort of kind of broke even roughly on him, so. They needed to do it. The accounts are not in a great position, but that will change going forward because they'll end up progressing these players, the likes of Gaye, the likes of Olise. And I think they will, you know, the, the idea is that they can produce these players and then perhaps sell them on. Yeah, I think what you're saying there is, I mean, you can essentially put, hit the nail on the head for, for why Crystal Palace kind of makes a very good um, scouted football pod episode because, you know, what you're saying there about Hodgson and, and the players that were out of contract, it was kind of, you know, sourcing that clean break at that time um, with with so many players out of contract, a manager who was probably coming to, you know, the end of his professional career. It seemed as though, uh, uh, certainly from my perspective, that, you know, it was perhaps the right time to 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 maybe just go for that. Right, we have to just try something new here. And you know, the the, the squad age thing, where Palace had the oldest team for, um, for for two seasons running in the Premier League. I think, I mean, this year certainly, maybe not based on that first starting eleven of the season, but in terms of probably the the most used eleven throughout the course of this season. I doubt that will be the oldest by the end of the end of the campaign. Um, and that will be obviously reflective of a new manager in charge, um, and, and obviously most importantly, them having uh, new new players in. And I suppose you mentioned there Jezer and Raksaki, and he's he's a player we'll get onto in a bit. But he's one I'm very much excited by because you know he, I was listening to to uh, Gary Isitt uh, speaking ahead of uh, the the under 23s opening game of the season the other evening, um, and he was saying you know Raksaki is a is a player who was you know he was pretty much undersized. Um, who when when he joined from from Chelsea wasn't really pulling up any trees, and since then, I mean, that last six months, as you say, you know, broke from you know the under eighteen Premier League into the into PL two with the twenty three side, and, and obviously he's gone on to make his debut. But um, just sort of starting, you know, right back at the be- beginning, you mentioned Aaron Wan Bissaka there, and obviously him being the, the club's biggest biggest sale, um, and you know, by some some margin, um, you know, he is. I mean, if if people were to think about you know, Beckenham or, or, or you know, any any player at Crystal Palace who who had who had come through in the past five, ten years. I think the first person on 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 many people's lips would be uh, would be Aaron Wan Bissaka. You know, was that under Roy Hodgson? Was that uh, perhaps a one off? You know, was it uh, a case of you know where he? I mean, I, I've read loads about how he obviously was not a fullback, and it was just a case of him you know being put in in training, and the coaches were like, actually, you know, he can this this boy can play here. Um, was was that kind of a one-off because of the approach that Hodgson took? Or he preferred to have more experienced players, or was it, a, you know, purely an accidental? You know, injuries dictated that there was an opportunity there. Yeah, it's a really interesting one with with Aaron Montbissaka. I mean, 
it's difficult with Roy Hodgson because people will will always kind of have their their thoughts on him and say, oh, look, he's this, this, you know, and I'm not saying this, but people might sort of, you know, refer to him as as someone who would only give youth a chance if he absolutely, absolutely had to. I don't think that's the case. I think that with him, I think that the idea was that you had to know your position, you had to know the game, you had to know exactly what you were doing because the way that Palace played under Roy Hodgson, and, and you know, I suppose this was true of, of Roy Hodgson, you know, maybe in the last sort of 10 to 12 years of his managerial career, possibly even longer, but I know that he was thought of as a very progressive coach when he was in Scandinavia. But, you know, certainly in, in the Premier League, it's a bit different. And, you know, it's very difficult for young players to break through into the Premier League. I think people underestimate just how difficult that is. And as I said to you already, like, I think that it's really important for clubs to focus on youth development and bring young players through. Um, but I think with, with with Aaron, it was a case of, yes, initially <clears throat> he was playing well for the under-18s and you know he'd made that step up into the 23s. I think the, the one thing with, with Aaron at the start of his career, I suppose, if you like, is that he got away from some people that perhaps were a bit of a negative influence on him. Some of the players who got released around, I think it would have been scholarship age at Palace at the same group as him. He was kind of in with them and they got released and that kind of allowed him to realise that he needed to step forward and and you know make that change himself. Um, and then into the 23s, he went as a winger, um, Kevin Keane, who I think is now West Ham, I think, if I'm right, um, he realised that he he put Aaron as a right back. He said, look, let's just give him a go at right back. Um, and he did really well. And Kevin Keane kind of continued to suggest that. And Richard Shaw, who was the under-23 manager at the time, now at Watford, um, went along with that and agreed with that. And then he started to carry on doing well and then he sort of went into the first team set up and he trained with the first team for quite some time. So it wasn't as if he just sort of quickly went into the first team, hadn't trained a lot with them and then got a debut. It was very much a case of um, being with them for quite some time um, before he got his debut. I think, I, I think, was it a one-off? Partially, yes. I think you saw with Tyreek Mitchell, as well coming through that um that Hodgson was prepared to give Mitchell an opportunity at left back um you know it, he did have to work really hard to do that but my understanding is and, and I wrote this in a, in a piece before I think it was after Tyreek Mitchell's first goal that you know there's mutual respect there's a there was a lot of mutual respect between Mitchell and Hodgson that people may not have known um, you know, that he really is grateful for, for Hodgson for giving him an opportunity. Um, I think Hodgson just demands high standards and sometimes academy players don't always have those high standards and aren't able to have those high standards simply because they don't have the experience. Um, and I think that it's really important to note that Yes, there are managers who are more willing to take risks. I think the main thing with Hodgson is that he was so risk averse in in everything that he did. It was about minimising risk, whereas other managers aren't like that. And therefore, they're more prepared to give young players a chance because they feel that 
that is the benefit. And also the con you have to look at the context of Palace and the situation that they were in. The fact that they had gone on from that De Boer debacle where Palace had spent quite a lot of money on players um, under Sam Allardyce, particularly in January, I think it would have been January 17. De Boer comes in in the summer of 2017. Palace spend, I think, 26 to 30 million on Mamadi Sacco, a fantastic footballer, but just so injury prone in the end. Um, and they're in the relegation zone with with no points from four games. That continues till the seventh game. I think they win on the eighth game. Um, and then Hodgson was there simply to keep Palace up and he did what he thought was best for keeping Palace up. Patrick Vieira is not the new manager to keep Palace in the Premier League. Patrick Vieira is the manager to rebuild Crystal Palace Football Club into a more sustainable football club and push it on for the future. And that involves bringing young players through. Yeah, and I think it's probably probably a good idea to get onto Vieira because you know he has a he has a rich history of working with young players. I think you know everybody knows that he was he was most recently at Nice in Liga, uh, which is you know the, as I said on last week's podcast the the self styled League of Talents. Um, you know it is it has a, a history of just bringing through young players, and and Nice are no different. They work uh, there with with youngsters uh, quite often, and and have you know they, they, if it's not them bringing through players themselves, then they're taking young players from other French clubs as they have done this summer uh, and from other leagues um, but as well with Vieira obviously he worked initially with with Manchester City's youth teams uh, which then in turn uh, got him the job at, at New York City FC um, in, in Major League Soccer over in the States so throughout his his managerial career as, as sort of as brief as it has been I, I don't know whether brief is the right word because I think he's there's, there's this perception that he might be inexperienced at a certain level but he actually does have a a fair bit of experience uh, managing young players and given the, the the makeup of this Palace squad does that then make him experienced because he has a he has a penchant for, for working with young younger uh, younger footballers and and you know maybe nurturing them a bit better I, I don't know but I think there is reason to be encouraged um, even if at times at Nice the football wasn't exactly uh, buccaneering or swashbuckling or you know the, the most entertaining style um you know, you look at the players that, that have come in this summer, um, you look at those and you think, well, you have to imagine that, that Vieira has had some some say in that, uh, that, you know, these are the players, these are the type of players, the profiles that he wants to work with, um, especially the age profiles. Um, but from, from your perspective, Matt, you know, with Vieira, having seen sort of what has gone on in pre-season, um, having seen the messaging from the club, his his press conferences, you know, everything that's come out, um, the, the, the the people who he's brought in, um, I can't remember who it is, was it somebody who worked at Nice with him? I can't remember. Yes, it might be. yes yeah, 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 yeah. You know, these, these, these types of characters who, uh, you know, who are, you know, who are going to be equally influential because I think it often mm. gets lost in the in the maelstrom of you know the there is the players, the manager, the board. There's actually yeah. a, a huge you know skeleton staff. Well, this of, is what's interesting, Joe, is that yeah. um, obviously under Roy Hodgson, it was Roy Hodgson, Ray Lewington, and then you had Dave Reddington as a first team coach, and that was that. And then it was the under twenty threes uh, with Sean Derry and Stephen Rice, previously Richard Shaw as well, and um, you know, and under Vieira, he's got, as as we just said, Christian Wilson, who worked with him uh, initially at New York 
then went to Nice with him. Sorry, at Man City, then went to New York, then went to Nice with him. Um, so he's a first team coach. And you've got Said Igon, um, formerly of PSG, worked at PSG for five years in their youth team. Um, he's an individual development coach. And what's fascinating is that he's there to basically bridge that gap between the under 23s and the first team. We hear a lot about B teams and got to be honest with you, Joe, I, I get a bit frustrated by the obsession with B teams, I think, and and the criticisms levelled at under-23 football. There's no doubt in my mind that under-23 football is not perfect and that there are things that need to change. But a B team is not a huge... There's nothing stopping teams from, with under-23 teams from going and arranging those friendlies, for example. Um, I, I understand the B team model and, and it is great that they get these young players to sort of play alongside more senior players and uh, and go out and, and play these teams in friendlies, but there's nothing stopping under-23s or, or, you know, or in addition to under-23s. I can't think who it was, but someone very recently, I think it's QPR, isn't it? Uh, the other day have just announced a B team where it's actually, they're keeping their under 23 team, but they're having a B team as well. And for me, that's the best approach. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was QPR, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, so with Said Igon, it's kind of bridging that gap between 23s and first team. And, and now Fiera's got this backroom staff and he's brought in Oshin Roberts and... Um, you know, people may not know a lot about Oshin Roberts. If you're not Welsh or focused on the Welsh national team, maybe you don't know a lot about him. But, you know, I've got a piece out. Uh, I'm not sure when the podcast's going out, but I, I imagine by the time it's out, then um, I've got a piece out on, on Oshin Roberts. And it's really interesting because he's worked with young players at Wales and he was instrumental in the Wales way, the Welsh way of of bringing through young players and making sure that they had the best development possible that wasn't just formation, formation, formation. It was principle over formation. And that's something that Fiera is implementing at Palace. I've seen it already. Um, he changed formation three times against Chelsea. He started with a 4-4-2, having played a, a 4-1-2-3, 4-3-3, however you want to describe it. But it was with two number eights. Um, and... I think Palace are going to focus on principles of play and that's going to filter down into the youth teams. Um, I think Paddy McCarthy being moved up to under-23 manager is is a really good decision by Palace. You've got two first-team coaches in Christian Wilson and Sean Derry, so straight away you've got the same number of people that Roy Hodgson had. And then you've got Said Igon and you've got Oshian Roberts, both of whom have a lot of experience with young players. Um, you know, I spoke to Johnny Williams, um, who you know absolutely loves Palace still, and you hear it every time you speak to him. And you know, he was saying how good Oshin Roberts was to him when he was the only Englishman um, at under 15s or under 14s in a rainy, cold, rainy autumn day uh, in Newtown in Wales um, for his his first game for Wales under 14s and you know he spoke so highly of Roberts so I think they've really really invested in in the staff I think clearly that's something that that uh Vieira's that's Vieira's choice that he's brought these people in he knows these people um and bringing Sean Derry in also I think helps with that transition into the first team for the younger players because he's he knows them already he's been the under 23 manager so he knows them already so I think it's a really interesting way of doing it. I think it's 
Palace have done really well there. Um, there's still obviously a lot of question marks over Vieira as a manager. Um, that's inevitable. He hasn't managed in the Premier League before. There were criticism levelled at him at Nice, which I believe were because of his, uh, ob- not obsession, but his like desire to be principles over formation as such. Um, which is probably why he was accused of lacking identity on the pitch. And that could well be a problem at Palace. We'll have to wait and see. But it's just really interesting, I think. And I think this is a really good appointment, in at least in respect of the young players at Palace and the young players they brought in. Yeah, so sort of investing in the players in, and investing in the staff as well. You know, I think it's it's one of those areas which is which is just as important, you know, if you don't have the staff in place to to mould those individual players into a team and, and to bridge those gaps between under-23 and, and first team, especially when you do have, you know, you know players who are, are in contention, you know, to, to, to make that jump. Um, if, if there's not the, the structure, the, the principles and the processes in place to be able to, to facilitate that, then I suppose it's a wasted endeavour on, on many sides. So, um, you know, smoothing out that process, uh, as, as, as you, you say, that, that Vieira has, has attempted to do, the club have, have attempted to do in the short period of time that, that the, the, the changing of the guard has, has taken place, then I think it, it bodes well. But obviously, you know, the, the, the team will, will rise or fall with performances and, 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 and results. So um, obviously the hope is that they, they obviously... I mean, it's only been one week of the season. Of course, you only hope they pick up after you've played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, one of the hardest games of the season. But um, yeah, I think there's there's reason for optimism, uh, certainly, um, as well as that that cautious, you know, you know the, the the caution over um, you know Vieira himself. But um, yeah, the, the the men that he's that he's brought in, uh, the, the 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 characters, the people um, that are that are going to shape Crystal Palace in, in the, over the next few years that it's um, it's definitely encouraging but um, on to sort of the playing side of things uh, and you know I think it's it's only right that we discuss the, the young players that yeah. have, have come into to, to Selhurst Park this season uh, or this summer rather um, and as we mentioned earlier you know there's been Conor Gallagher's come in on a season-long loan uh, Michael Olise uh, has come in uh, from Reading, after you know, really lighting up the championship with just fantastic technique, he's been a, a, an excellent player for them. Um, obviously, last year we we saw the introduction uh, of Ebre Eze to to the to the Premier League, which was I think a long time coming, really. Um, and and then of course Mark Gurhi, um and and even even the likes of Joachim Anderson, who as you mentioned is still only 24, 25, which is still for a, for a top level centre back, still quite young in the grand scheme of things, but. Um, I just want to talk about Gallagher and Elise uh, to, to to start with. You know, there was there was interest from other clubs. I, I mean, I know myself there was interest from Leeds uh, in Conor Gallagher. They yeah. were they wanted to. They, I mean, they 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 famously gave their presentation to to Gallagher of where he would fit into the team, where his um, what his role would be, uh, how how influential he could be. But ultimately, the decision was. Was was Palace in the end, and and Michael Olise, Obviously, there was the 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 rumor before it became fact that there was that um, that eight million pound release clause in his Reading contract, uh, and for that price, given how impressive he'd been over one and one quarter seasons in the Championship, um, you know that was that's that's a very palatable price for, for for pretty much every Premier League club. So for for Palace to have got both of them for uh, you know twenty twenty one twenty two at least, obviously with Gallagher being on loan. Um, you know what, what I mean? How, how was it that, that that the club managed to persuade those two, and rightly so, highly rated young English talents to to come to Selhurst? 
It's quite interesting with Gallagher because um, last summer he was very, very close to signing um, and then Palace realised that they needed a striker and who did they go for? They went for Mishi Batshuayi um, and of course you can't sign two players on loan from the same club in the Premier League so they opted for Batshuayi over Gallagher. Um, which I, I suppose in, in your mind you might think, well, surely then that would put him off, but but apparently not. Um, I think with with that and you know with Olise as well, I think Olise, you know, the one thing that, that I haven't touched on yet is that Patrick Vieira's sort of sway, you know, this is a World Cup winner, like one of the best players the Premier League has ever seen, um, you know, I think was it was he captain for France when they won the World Cup? Uh, I mean, he certainly captain France, didn't he? So he was certainly uh, influential in that team, wasn't he? You know, it was yeah, him, exactly. him and Emmanuel Petit in the middle, wasn't it? Yeah. So you know, his you know, uh, his reputation precedes him, um, and and with Olise, I know that that he spoke to Olise's mum. I think it was um, in French, um, you know, which I think was was partly helpful, um, and I think that you know, it's just one of those things where his reputation makes a difference. And I think that the way that Palace probably sold it as well probably would have helped that, you know, we're building something new. We're going to play to your strengths. We're going to play a much more attacking style. We're going to give you a chance. You've got a good opportunity here. And I imagine they probably said, look, you know, if you go on and do really well and big teams come in for you and make big bids for you, then look, we've sold Aaron Wan-Bissaka to Manchester United. We're not going to stand in your way. I don't know for certain that they said that, but I would not be surprised if they basically said it's okay kind of to to, to use a cliche, to use this as a stepping stone to something bigger in future once you've, you know, once you've helped us. It's a good bargaining chip, isn't it? You can say, look, look what we did with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Yeah. Look what regular football can do for you here. Absolutely, and, and I'm sure they would have pointed to Eze as well. I think I've got to give Roy Hodgson credit here, and a lot of people were very negative about this last season. I remember there was a press conference. It must have been relatively early in the season after Palace signed Eze. It must have been around September, October, probably October time, maybe November. And Hodgson said that um, he was working with Eze and that Eze needed to do what Townsend and Schlapp had done over the, and Je- Andros Townsend and Jeffrey Schlapp had done over the last three years, which was to make sure that they defended well, that they got back and they tracked back and they defended well. And people were in arm up in arms about that because what you know, why would you do that to actually Eze? He's a really great attacking talent. Why would you shackle him in a defensive system, playing defensive football and force him to defend? And yet Come the end of the season, he had massively improved defensively. And then he got to sort of, I think there was a, a piece I wrote, I think it was, you know, towards the end of the season. And Palace basically let him go and attack a lot more. And it worked really well, uh, even within a defensive system. And and I think what Hodgson did well with young players, with what Aaron Wan-Bissaka, with Tyreek Mitchell and with Ebrecheze is that, he taught them a side of the game that maybe some other managers wouldn't have been able to. And that was that defensive nous. And I think now that Eze's got a manager in Vieira who's going to be more attacking, I think that defensive ability is is going to really help him. And I think that's really important um, because now he can be 
more free to attack, but he's learnt that defensive side. So he's a more complete player. I think that's really important in the Premier League. I think that's what perhaps makes the difference between the Championship and the Premier League. And also perhaps between a player who is really good at the bottom of the Premier League and someone who is really good in the middle who could potentially go on to be at the top of the Premier League. So I think they might do that with Olise in, in a way. I think they might kind of have that idea of developing him and developing him into a more complete player. I mean, you know, there, there's obviously sort of some things around him that, you know, maybe there were some problems at Manchester City and at Chelsea when he was younger, which is why he didn't end up staying there. But I think those are things that Palace must be confident they can iron out. Mm, yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, and, and just on Ebre Eze, you know, obviously he sustained a, a, an Achilles injury, uh, was yeah. it? Um, towards the back end of last year, or rather last season, sort of throughout the uh, throughout the summer. Um, well, when can we sort of expect him to, to be back on the pitch? Because I've seen a few training pictures. I've seen him in sort of the new kits and stuff uh, in the promo images. But I, I suppose the, the million dollar question is when when are we going to be seeing Ebre Eze back from, from what is a pretty nasty injury for a player of his style? Yeah, so it was obviously really, really disappointing and gutting that, you know, first of all, Ebre Eze um, ruptured his Achilles and then a day later, Nathan Ferguson did exactly the same thing. Well, not exactly the same thing, but suffered an Achilles injury himself, having, you know, just come back from a long-term knee problem that has prevented him from making his Palace debut after Palace were really cautious as well in easing him back in. Um, but yeah, I think Eze is well ahead of schedule is my understanding. Likewise, Olise is ahead of schedule from a back injury. Uh, Patrick Vieira said of Olise that he'll be back and he's aiming to be back on the training pitch in the next couple of weeks. So I would expect maybe this time next month we might well see an Olise debut um, as for Eze, I would expect that to be around sort of November time is, is my understanding um, that they're expecting him to be back in the team, ready to play games by November, uh, maybe soon, maybe slightly sooner than that. And that's obviously well ahead of the, the initial prognosis, which was mm. sort of around the turn of the new year. And then obviously you've got to talk about getting back to fitness and things like that. But I was sort of seeing that I think even Benteke had a similar injury a year or so ago and it took him about five or six months. So I think I think the way that, that uh, sports science and, and that has come on in and physiotherapy is that they're in a better position to get them back quicker from these injuries. I just think, I know Palace will do this, I'm sure they will, but you just got to be a little bit careful because someone like that, you don't want him to get another injury too soon by rushing him back even if you do need him I think it's better to be slightly cautious yeah protecting the player sort of over the I mean because obviously it's it, it, you only get one career at the end of the day and, and two yeah. sort of exploding Achilles injuries would be devastating to, to any of his you know his long-term potential but I think yeah you, you know it's this isn't this is no longer sort of the the day and age of Oh well, you know, just shake it off and play on that sort of thing. I mean, obviously, as you say there, the the science, the scientific side of things definitely prioritizes the 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 long term um, well being of, of players and stuff. So um, it's it's great to hear from personally from my perspective. Absolutely fantastic to hear that that November could be the time that we see him back on the pitch, um, and and equally good that you know he, he and Olisa are ahead of 
ahead of schedule. Um, but on sort of the another addition that was made in in the summer, uh, that was obviously the the central defender Mark Gurhi from uh, from Chelsea. Um, obviously knows Conor Gallagher very very well, having you know joined Chelsea at the same time when they were around nine years old or something, sort of seven or eight years old, something like that. When uh, around fifteen years ago, it will have been now or there thereabouts. Um, but I mean, you know, you, you you bring in two central defenders who are you know, on paper, probably the the two strongest central defenders or two of the strongest central defenders at the club uh, in, in Gurhi and, and Joachim Anderson. Um, I, I suppose the the assumption is that, you know, those two will will, will look to partner each other um, in, in future, uh, perhaps. Obviously, that hasn't come to fruition yet because of the times that they were signed and whatnot. But on on Gurhi, I've got I've got one question really that that has been sort of in the back of my mind throughout the whole summer, and it's that you know I, I feel like with with Palace's position in in the league, uh, you know, as, as a mid table team, and and also within their position in the country, being in South London, but being very much in close proximity to some of the you know some of the Europe's best academies we're talking about here, you know, is is there a, I mean this this is probably something which isn't exactly going to be put out by the club, but is would you say that the the recent business that they've done, um, you know, with uh, even with the likes of Jez Raksaki, you know, bringing him in from Chelsea yeah. um, after he well not not bringing him in but picking him up after he was let go, you know, uh, even with Ebreze, you know, the fact that he was let go by Arsenal, Millwall, and obviously QPR ended up picking him up. But do you think that with pivoting towards sort of the the I, I, I don't know what the the best term to describe this is, but you know, picking up players that are in the the, the London diaspora that are, have perhaps fallen by the wayside at other clubs that clearly have immense talent but need a platform and need an, uh, mm-hmm. uh, an opportunity to show it. Is that is that something which you think that Palace could really tap into? Because from my perspective, I thought, you know, is there a better Premier League? And there's no doubt in my mind after watching Gurhi for, for Swansea last year, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's no doubt that a Premier League club should come in for him. But is there a better club at the moment than Crystal Palace for him? I, I didn't think so. Obviously, that move then ended up happening. It I felt incredibly validated. Um, I should have <laughs> I should have expressed that on on the timeline or something, shouldn't I? Um, but I, I I just thought that the Palace have a, a unique position, um, both geographically and sort of um, what's the word figuratively speaking that yeah. that they that they can offer these platforms to these players at this this period of uh, of time. I actually think it's the complete opposite. Um, really? Not not that like that they don't want to do that or they don't have an opportunity, but I think well, I think it is that they don't want to do that, which is why they've just spent so much money on their academy. So I think the whole point of this summer and bringing someone like Mark Gay and last summer bring Everett Chiesa is kind of a twofold thing. It's we want to get the best of the championship. And that's something that I think sporting director Dougie Freeman was keen to do was to go out and get the best players from the championship, the best young players I should add from the championship um, and bring them in and nurture them and, and improve them. Um, <clears throat> so I think that was the first part of it. But then, you know, obviously you have to balance it and you have to bring in players who are, who are good enough and who have the experience. And that's what they've done with Mark Gerhe is they brought someone in who's been excellent for Swansea, who can play the way that they want to play under Patrick Vieira, 
Um, and you know, who's quite flexible in the back as well in relative terms. Likewise, Joachim Anderson can play in a back three. Um, I think we'll see that more from Palace this season than I originally did um, in pre-season uh, after hearing Fiera's comments uh, that I alluded to earlier about principles over formation and the fact that he changed formation. Um, so there's that side of it that you know they do want to bring these players in and they will always continue to pick up players from uh, you know, the academies of Chelsea and, and Arsenal, I suppose, and Spurs. Uh, the other player that um, that we <clears throat> haven't mentioned who will know Mark Gahey and Conor Gallagher well is Nia Kirby um, in Palace's under-23s. He won the under-17 World Cup with the pair. Um, he was in that squad that just kind of goes to show uh, how youth development is so unpredictable that one minute you can be winning the under-17 uh, World Cup with England and a few years later, you're still in the under-23s, whilst two of your colleagues have played, what, 40-odd games, um, maybe more uh, professionally. Um, but Palace's academy, what they want to do, the whole point of their regeneration of their academy, the the re uh, the rebuild of the academy, the, the twenty million investment, um, you know, they've gone from playing on pitches which had potholes in when I first went to see them in like twenty fourteen at what was then goals in Beckenham. It was you know it was a good site in the sense that it was close to their their training ground. It was big enough but they didn't own it. So they couldn't really invest too much money in it. As the years went on, they did that and that was good, but it wasn't a place that they owned. So they didn't want to put too much money in. And then they spent 20 million um, after, you know, in, in terms of first of all, buying the land um, on a long-term lease, I think it's 75 years um, and subsequently redeveloping it. But what they want to do is they want to make the most of the area and the opportunities to bring in the players. So, you know, there's players that have lost to Chelsea, like one, for example, Nathan Young-Coombs, now at Brentford B, or Brentford, kind of a bit of both, um, fire, uh, fire Rangers. Um, you know, he's just one example. There's plenty of others. Um, most, I think most really, they mostly go at a younger age before anyone really knows about them. Um, the whole point is that they get these players before the likes of Chelsea. They they can say to these kids, look, we've got these fantastic facilities. What we've got a benefit over Chelsea is that we've got a pathway through to the first team. And again, that's kind of the fact that they got rid of 10 players in the summer because they wanted to uh, have an opportunity, an opening for these young players to come through if they're good enough, the key being if they're good enough. Um, and the under-18s this season, uh, the second-year scholars in particular, um, who came second in the under-18 Premier League, are certainly considered to be one of the best groups uh, that this club has ever produced. Um, most of them have been here for a long time. They won the under-15 Floodlit Cup. Um, you know, so I think the whole point is that they bring through their own players because that saves them so much money, you know, as we said earlier, one Bissaka, 50 million plus however many millions of pounds he probably saved in wages from having to sign another right back. Tyreek Mitchell, Palace haven't got the money to sign a left back this summer, this summer. So, you know, he's saving them a lot of money. Um, so it's just a case of 
making the most of what is on their doorstep that they couldn't do before. So I'm sure it is to some extent still going to be, we're going to pick up players from other clubs because that's what they do. They just look for the best. Whereas now, whilst they can do that, they can do that in addition to focusing on their own talent and bringing their own talent through from a young age. So don't think they really want to be signing Mark Gahey. What they want to be doing is they want to be signing Mark Gahey at the age of eight, at the age of 10, instead of the age of, what, what is he, 21, I think? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean, as in you want to be producing your own Mark Gurhey rather than exactly signing right. Chelsea's yeah. Mark Gurhey for 21 million. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see where you're coming from. Obviously, it's, it, I mean, it makes sense. It makes financial sense, doesn't it? I think a hybrid approach is probably what a lot of mid-table Premier League clubs who've maybe got a bit more focus on their under-23s uh, are looking at doing. Um, and Palace are one of those clubs that, that can do that. I suppose looking towards the the academy then and, and the next generation, you know, we we discussed uh, Jezerin Raksaki uh, earlier on in the pod, uh, and he's he's kind of the the headline under twenty three player that I, I would like to discuss on this pod because, you know, he's I, I watched him a few times last season, um, and he was he, he did seem as though he was streets ahead of the the, the under eighteen level that he was playing at, uh, which obviously then gave way to, to him appearing for the 23s and, and uh, him obviously then making his, his senior debut, um, well, his league debut, correct me if I'm wrong with that senior debut bit, uh, against Chelsea at the weekend. Um, and then there was even the, the game against Leeds, which they lost 3-1 at, um, at Selhurst on, on Monday, uh, which was the, the obviously the, the start of the, the PL2 season mm-hmm. for them. And Raksaki just... You know, it, for anybody who who regularly watches under twenty three football or PL two or anything like that, there is just that little bit extra that you can see in a player who is either has had first team experience or is first team ready. Uh, to use a, a terrible phrase, um, <laughs> you know, there's just something about you know having that that added it that added X factor uh, about Raksaki. And I yeah. just wanted to, to know from, from your perspective, obviously you'll have seen him, you'll have seen pr- quite a lot of him coming through in the past two years um, and, and what, what he's like, what, what he's all about and, and whether it's, I mean, it doesn't seem as though it's a surprise from a Palace perspective that he is making these inroads. Cause I've got in my notes here, was it, has he leapfrogged to the front of the under 23 queue by force or by circumstance? And I feel like I've got a good enough idea of, of which one it is. It's interesting, yeah, with, with him. I mean, regrettably, I haven't been able to see too much of him in person because of COVID. Um, you know, he, he wasn't really hugely involved in his first year as a scholar, as I said earlier, which is, you know, all the more remarkable how quickly he's gone from being that, you know, first year scholar who was starting the odd game, you know, maybe every other game he was starting, playing 50 minutes and, you know, he scored, I think, three or four goals in, in the entire season, uh, whereas he did that in, like, two games last season. Um, but, uh, yeah, Joe, it's it's really has been fascinating to see just how quickly he's risen. And I think Gary Izzet um, spoke to, I think it was the South London Press, about him and, and you know, well, I suppose more about how he came through and how he was produced and, and things like that. And it he talked, as you said earlier, about, the size and how he wasn't physically developed in that first year and how over the summer he had this kind of massive growth spurt and suddenly he was dominating teams because he was now physically capable at that level. He was never, there was never any question. I I, I don't think after he came in of him being technically 
good enough. He was always considered to be technically good enough. He just wasn't physically there. And then in the second year, he just sort of shot up and, and, you know, he's very direct. Like it's inevitable that there's been comparisons with Wilfred Saha. I don't think they're quite the same player. I think, you know, uh, not to, to suggest that Raksaki isn't skillful, but I, I consider consider him to be more direct um, and, and actually probably his finishing is probably uh, better at that age than Wilfred Saha's was. Um, I mean, you know, Wilfred Saha was... The other comparison, obviously, to make is that Wilfred Saha was kept out of the um, Palace under-18 team until... Um, until uh, his career changed in the FA Youth Cup against Newcastle. Sorry to, to say that. Um, and, <laughs> um, oh, don't and, worry, you get you get used to it, I promise. <laughs> I think I actually think it was a four-two defeat, um, and he scored one, and he won the penalty for another one. Uh, St James's Park. I remember speaking. I think it was Paul Dummett. Was it Paul Dummett? I can't think who it was now. I spoke to one of the Newcastle defenders that day um, for a piece on on him uh, that I wrote about, I think it was his early years or it was 10 years of, of Wilfred Saha. But basically, uh, you know, he was kept out of the team and Raksaki was kept out of the team as well. And Palace didn't really have wingers in the under-18s when Raksaki was a first year. They kind of played almost with... I think it was a Mooney, Finn Mooney, who I really like, was was playing on you know out wide for quite a while, and they had Jaden Raymond when he wasn't unfortunately injured as well, um, and Jack Wells Morrison. I think also uh, another one I really rate um, was was kind of filling in there as well. So they didn't really play with wingers, and then when he was doing really well, they kind of switched to to play that way. I think he can almost I wouldn't put him up front, but you can see that he could kind of play in that kind of role in a weird way, I suppose. I suppose with a lot of wingers, that is the case. They can kind of, if you need them to, play as auxiliary strikers, which is unfortunately what um, we had to endure with Andros Townsend and, and Saha for some time under Hodgson, and that didn't go very well. Um, but with Raksaki, he's so direct and he's quick and he's pay- he's got this skill to to take on a player without necessarily doing a box of tricks. And that's what I think kind of stands him out from other players is that he doesn't necessarily do all these step overs. He just goes past these players. Um, And I really enjoy that in him. Um, I haven't seen as much as I would have liked of him. I'd really like to see him in person again. Um, and I wasn't able to get to the under-23 game, um, but I will obviously be doing that this season as much as possible. But um, to be honest with you, I think he will be a feature in the first team, even if they do add players. I think they're, they're looking at bringing in another winger on the right, which is obviously where he plays primarily, um, because he's it would be a lot of burden to have just him and Jordan Ayew um in in that team so I think you do need one um but I do think that out of the lot they do clearly see him as someone who does have the potential to influence a game not necessarily right now but maybe in six months time I think you'll be seeing him if he continues this impressive form you'll be seeing him on the bench um, for Palace's first team. Um, mm. The one word of caution, um, and, and this is only because he's young and inexperienced, is that um, I don't know if if anyone listening would have watched Palace's um, 
under twenty three playoffs um, at the end of last season, but he was quite quiet in those games. And I think even over the summer, as you you mentioned, he played very well against Leeds and in the opening Premier League two game, and you saw a difference in him um, even over the summer. Um, but I think you know you just got to kind of remember that these are young players; they're going to be um, their form isn't going to be permanently good. You're going to have to be patient with them. Um, I think social media is great in that you know it's great that people can be aware of these players more and you know be positive about them. But equally, I think you know clubs have so long spent so much time and effort trying to make sure that expectations aren't too high. Um, I think they do need to be allowed to develop at their own pace. So I think it's just that case of managing expectations with him. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I think it's something that we always say on this podcast is that especially the players towards the younger end of the spectrum, you know, the ones who break through when they're 17, 18 years old, like Raksaki, who are you know still very much in the infancy of their their professional career in, and, and very much in the infancy of their you know being this size and being their you know at their fullest ability. You know, they're still learning their frame. They're still learning their 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 craft in a certain position. But I think there's a lot of value in in being a player who can be direct and can beat players without having to to rely on a box of tricks, uh, as you as you said. Um, and I think we see we hear that all the time in terms of you know players who go through growth spurts and then they are capable of doing the things that they wanted to do but previously physically couldn't. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's a good way of sort of summing up the 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 rise that Rakasaki has had. Um, you know the the intelligence, the the technical quality has been there, but it was rather a, a question of um, whether that that growth spurt would come, and obviously it has to to his to his benefit. But um, Matt, thank you very much for for joining me on on the Scouted Football Podcast. Um, I think your insight on Palace is absolutely unrivaled, um, as proven by the the Palace youth account and the FYP fanzine, and, and obviously of course writing for the the Athletic. Um, you know, it's I think it's it's an exciting time. It's it's one of you know, intrigue, for, uh, certainly for me as a neutral, um, to see how this, I don't know, this regeneration, I think is the word you used, yeah. uh, to see how the regeneration um, takes place and, and transpires. But yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks very much, Jay. That's all from us on the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, if you like more of this, please do check out sfhandbook.com uh, to get your hands on a copy of the Scouted Football Handbook collection. Uh, currently, we have all of them on sale, but I don't think that will be uh, for very long, so get in while you can. Um, we're going to be releasing a new handbook, uh, hopefully uh, in the next few weeks, next month at the latest. Uh, that will be uh, number 12. Um, so yeah, uh, if you like the stuff that we do with Scouted Football, then uh, please consider supporting us. But yeah, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast at Crystal Palace. This is Regeneration with Matt Wilson. I've been Joe Donahue. Thank you very much. Bye for now.